Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of I Like to Read with me, your host, Rachel Polanski. Happy Sunday. Um, even Yeah, I guess this is – we used to record on Saturdays and then release them, like, the next Sunday, and now we're just kind of doing Sundays because Saturdays have, like, become our errand days. Very thrilling. Um, water break. Um I bit my tongue accidentally a few days ago, and it still kind of hurts, so that's not fun. Um, What else? What else? Um, (laughs) Really great energy, right? The the bonus of recording on Saturdays is I'm usually caffeinated. Today, I'm not caffeinated, so I'm a little bit lower energy, but we're still going to bring the vibes. We're still going to bring the fun. Um, So today, I'm going to start off with a special quiz, Um, literary adjacent, of course. It is Which Night of the Round Table Are You? Um, And that is because one of the books that I will be delving into shortly is very Arthurian related. So I figured that this would be a fun little warm-up for us. As always, it will be linked down below. would love to know which night of the round table you are. Um, but let's see which one I am. Okay, so question one. You are offered a seat at the round table. Do you accept it? No way. Chivalry is for suckers. Of course, those round guy tables are the best, and I'm the best. We belong together. Not right away. I have some personal personal issues to work through first, but I'll definitely think about it. Yeah, I think I'm, I mean, I probably want to, but, like, I probably have some stuff that I gotta, like, deal with before I, like, fully commit to it, so I'm gonna go with that one. Question two. Pick a food. Fish. Holy communion is all the sustenance I need. Red meat, nuts and berries, or fruit. If you know me, you know that I'm a vegetarian, so I'm going to have to choose fruits. I mean, nuts and berries are probably be a little little more sustaining, but like a little apple, which is the picture, just sounds real fresh and nice right now. Okay, you have some free time on your hands. How do you spend it? Free time? Who has free time? A good knight can never stop winning worship. Catching up with old friends and spending time with loved ones. Plotting against those who oppress you. Hunting, fishing, hiking, camping, anything that gets me into the great outdoors. I'm going to go with catching up with old friends and spending time with loved ones. You find a sword in a stone with an engraving that says it can only be pulled by a truly great knight. What do you do? Convince someone else to pull it first, then mock them when they fail. Duh, pull it. Who's better than me? Leave it alone. There are plenty of great knights out there who are worthier than I am. I kind of want to pull it, you know, the sword of the stone. Like, I'm enticed by it, and I'm the best knight in the world. Yeah, let's do that one. You discover that the king's best friend is sleeping with the queen. What do you do? Keep your mouth shut. It's none of your business and might do more harm to the kingdom if the king knew. Trick the two lovers so that the king discovers them together. Accuse the queen of adultery in a really public situation. Tattle, the king must know about this treason. I'm going to keep my mouth shut. I mean, what what happens between two people? What happens between two people? I'm going to leave them alone. You have a strange dream that you suspect is prophetic. Who do you turn to for guidance? The local wizard. He's kind of a kook, but his prophecies are surprisingly accurate. Your psychic aunt. She may be a crazy hippie, but she knows prophecy when she hears one. An old religious hermit who lives in a nearby forest. <laughs> Those guys always know what's up. Or ignore it, it was just a dream, didn't mean anything. I feel like the local wizard who's kind of kooky, like, he seems like my kind of guy, so I'm gonna go with him. You are on an incredibly difficult quest which you may never be able to complete. What is the thought running through your head? Difficult? You think this is difficult? I could do this with my eyes closed and one arm tied behind my back. Bring it on. Must. Win. Worship. Cannot fail. 
This quest is totally not worth it. I'm going home. The point of the quest is not to complete it. It's the journey that's important. I'm learning so much. Um, if I were going to judge this, like, based on how I exercise and hike, I usually, like, pop myself up. I'm just like, you got this, like, just, like, five more minutes or ten more minutes or whatever. So, like, must win worship cannot fail. Like, I think that's that's what I'm going to go with. You fall in love with someone who does not love you back. What do you do? Die of sorrow. Stalk them. Love them from afar. Trick them into sleeping with you. Yeah, I feel like I might trick them into sleeping with me. I mean, then if they didn't already love me, then I could probably convince them after sleeping with them. I mean, that, that's, that's my logic. We're halfway through, guys. Sorry, this is a little bit of a longer one. Someone has fallen in love with you, but you are not interested. What do you do? Treat them with courtesy, but don't lead them on. You might not return their feelings, but you don't want to make them even worse about it. <laughs> Write them a check. You'll never love them, but at least they can't say you never did anything for them. Be with them anyway. They're probably a really nice person if you just give them a chance or make fun of them incessantly and make out with other people in front of them. I'm going to treat them with courtesy, but not lead them on. You know, like, I respect that people have crushes and not everyone feels the same way. Lord knows I've been in that situation many times. So I want to be polite. Treat others how you want to be treated. How will you most likely die? Peacefully in my sleep, and my body will be carried up to heaven by the very angels themselves. Stabbed in the back by my treacherous foes or mortally wounded in hand-to-hand combat. Most likely, who knows, but, like, one that I want, obviously. I think I would love to die in my sleep. Like, that would just probably be best and less painful for me. You are riding through a forest on a quest when a deer runs by. What do you do? Follow it. You're always up for an adventure. Let it go. You cannot be swayed from your quest or kill it. Um, I mean, I guess I'm on a quest in this situation, but, again, vegetarian. I don't want to kill the deer. I just want to, like, let it go. Like, you know, I'm do what you got to do, deer. Don't impact me. You have won a fight against your enemy, and he begs you not to kill him. What do you do? Hug it out. Why were you even fighting in the first place? It's a little too heavy for me. Kill him or let him go. He was a worthy opponent and doesn't deserve to die. Treat others how you want to be treated. I will let him go. As you are traveling down a road, you encounter a stranger. How do you greet him? Ask him his name. Maybe he's a fellow knight of the round table. New friends. Whoever wrote this quiz, quiz was clearly having a little bit too much fun. Um, challenge him to a duel. If he's worth knowing, he'll put up a good fight or kill him. Yeah, just ask him his name, you know, see what, see what his intentions are. Let's go with that one. You encounter a damsel in distress. What do you do? Keep going on your way. She will probably be fine. Help her, of course. Isn't that what all good knights do? Or kill her. I mean, I want to say I would help her, but, like, I realistically would probably just be like, yeah, it's fine. Someone else will help her. <laughs> just, like, go on my way and not worry about it. The damsel who is following you on your quest is constantly critical of your fighting technique and your personal appearance. How do you react? Use her criticism as fuel to fight even harder. Ignore her. Women shouldn't be giving advice. Fall in love with her. Nothing gets you going more than a feisty woman or kill her. Probably would fall in love with her. I mean, it's like kind of like, you know, methinks the lady doth protest a bit too much. And our last one. The best knight in all of the land is staying at your house tonight. What do you do? Kill him. Throw a party with lots of food and lots to drink. Make him feel like he's part of your own household. Trick him into sleeping with you. A lot of, like, tricking people into sleeping with them. But, again, I, that happened a lot in the Middle Ages. And, like, I kind of just want to go with that one, too. Okay, so to drum roll, please. Which night are we calculating results? I am Sir Galahad. Okay. Sir Galahad is universally acknowledged as the best knight in the world, even superseding his father, Lancelot. He never fails at a quest, never succumbs to temptation, 
helps everyone who needs it, goes to church regularly, and treats everyone with kindness and respect. And he's also the most annoying goody two-shoes you'll ever meet. Um, so, like, yeah, I'm pretty cool and awesome and, like, maybe I'm, like, the best reader ever, but I'm definitely not a goody two-shoes. And I'm definitely not annoying and preachy about that. I don't go to church. I don't subscribe to any particular religion. But it was just a fun quiz to uh, break the ice, get us talking, get us flowing a little bit different than what we normally do on the show. Um, but without further ado, let's get into this week's five books. There's no sound effect we have for that, but it could be fun. First up, we have Last Call, a true story of love, lust, and murder in queer New York. Um, so this is a, as the title says, a true story about a true crime um, situation, although it's, so it tackles the story of the Last Call killer, um, which I had vaguely known about as a killer who was targeting gay men. He sort of would frequent the bars during last call he would be seen going home with them um and then they would never the men would never be seen again so this was in the 80s and 90s um and it seems like i mean like i've vaguely heard of his name i can't speak to any like specific podcasts or real episodes that i can think of um really talking about this case and talking about him um as the book goes into it's also because during the time aids was super prominent so people were already very skeptical and frightened of gay people and so a killer who was specifically targeting gay men was sort of pushed to the side. I mean, you have to think if this killer was targeting white women or even white cis straight men, like, would that have been much more prominent in the media? Probably yes. Um, So part of it is sort of trying to find the killer, um, which they do eventually find. However, there's not, like, a super beautiful, like, bow is neatly tied like the jinx and we know that robert durst killed it and he confesses spoiler alert if you haven't seen the jinx like that won't even ruin it for you because it's the best true crime documentary ever um excuse me so it's really well done because each of the victims and the men who were officially killed by the last call killer are really explored from not just you know their final moments but really their whole lives and their larger um sense of where they fit into the gay community that was really thriving and emerging in New York City at this time. Um, It's definitely a heavier subject. I mean, there's murder, (laughs) there's murder, there's discrimination, there is homophobia, there's a lot of darker, deeper things, but it really, like, it flows um, as if it were fiction, um, but with, you know, knowing that these are real people and a real case, um, the author, Elon Green, really gives a lot of gravitas and weight to the victims and doesn't make it about, you know, the killer and the search for this killer, but, like, who were these men and who were, what were the circumstances and what was the world like, and he really does do a more sociological, anthropological exploration of New York City and the gay scene at the time while using that as the backdrop to bring these men's individual stories to the light. Um, and like I said, as someone who was considered themselves a pretty much a true crime aficionado, this is not something that was super on my radar or super familiar, but read really quickly. I think it was less than 300 pages. And also when you're looking at a fic- uh, nonfiction book, always good to remember that even if it seems like too long or a little bit daunting, that there's usually a notes and a footnote section um, that is certainly worth skimming and looking at, especially if you're interested in learning more about the subject, but it's something that you don't necessarily have to read and devote the same attention to. So that can sometimes knock off a good 10 to 50 in larger bookcases. So always pay attention to that too if you're intimidated by the book length um, to see like how much of it is the notes and how much of it is sort of just the bibliography that you don't actually have to read. A little pro tip for you today. So that is Last Call. And next we have our Arthurian book, which 
uh, you know, hint was hinted at earlier by um, the quiz that we took. And we have Legend Born by Tracy Dion. Um, so this is one that I got in my monthly Owl Crate, not sponsored, but I do love Owl Crate. They are a young adult subscription service where they give you a book every month. Um, and they always have a custom cover for Owl Crate edition. There's it's always signed usually. Um, sometimes they have like fun foil edges. This one has cool design on the dust jacket and so you get the book and you also get um some fun little like handcrafted trinkets and stuff that like you don't really need but like who doesn't want just like a fun candle and I have like a pin banner and some other random stuff around um so this came in the October owl crate but I actually just read it last week because um as you all know I'm also very dedicated to going through my library books that come in first on my kindle I don't always get the best chance um to read the hardcover books right when they come out or the physical books but I finally read this one and I'm so glad I did it is fantastic um it's a really really cool like reimagining of the Arthurian legend for contemporary times as well as um, a comment on race and sort of, you know, where does magic and where do our roots come from um, and, you know, how secret societies and like our pasts and histories can permeate into real life. It's it's just really cool. Um, so our main character is named Bree. Bree's mother has recently passed away and that is really affecting her life and that grief um, is really hard for her to deal with. So at 16, she is accepted into the unc chapel hill like pre-college program and so she's super smart she's there she's just like looking to get out of her bubble and she encounters a secret society called the legend born students and they are actually um reincarnated or sort of brought up to be reincarnated members of knights of the round table because they are preparing for this sort of like order that is coming to take over the world um and there's like merlin so there's a, there's the morganas there's a lot of really cool aspects and elements of the Arthurian legends that are just like weaved in in a very unique and different way. Um, so Brie also has another branch in her life called Root Magic, um, which is sort of her ancestors and her mother um, are connected to that. And she, it's um, different than the Legendborn magic. Um, and then it becomes the larger question of like, where does the Legendborn magic come from? Where does the Root magic come from? Um, what does it mean to be a descendant? And like, how how do we know the truth? And how do our parents' lives and decisions impact ourselves? All while like, she's dating a guy who's basically supposed to be like, King Arthur reborn and the conduit for King Arthur and like we got Sir Lancelot and other stuff and so it's um, a little bit lengthier I think it was almost 500 pages but again it's a young adult novel so it reads a little bit quicker paced um and it's just like such a really just like unique reimagining even though it's a young adult novel right just like Brie is she's 16 but she feels <laughs> like she's in her mid to late 20s she's super mature but also very like gone going through a lot of stuff and not afraid to let you in and show you her and so i think this is the first in a series so i am excited to see what comes next from legend born and from tracy dion okay and next we have the hungover games by sophie hewood um so, so i sophie hewood is a british um journalist writer who um this is a non-fiction memoir about that time that she accidentally got pregnant <laughs> and decided to keep it and keep the baby and now she has a full-grown daughter and so how um 
we sort of get to see what led her up to this point in her life. She is told that she is virtually infertile, so she can't get pregnant. She has sex with a guy that she's been sort of casually seeing, and lo and behold, she does get pregnant. She decides to keep that baby, which, of course, has lasting impacts on the rest of her life. Um, It's really... It's told in a few different parts. So the first part of the story, um, Sophie is living in Los Angeles, just kind of floundering around as a journalist. And while the life was at once really great for her, she's like learning, you know, as she's becoming more of an adult that there's like more she needs, both internally and externally imposed upon her. Um, And so she views the baby then as this sort of, you know, I, if I'm going to have a baby, I should have a family and I should have a perfect life and a childhood. But what happens if you do get accidentally pregnant and you decide, you know, you're older, you never thought you would be able to have a child. So it almost feels like a miracle. Um, so the majority of the story is told um, as she is pregnant and then um, has her child, gets to know herself Um you know, again, with this child and then also what it's like to date and be a single mother and live her life in the world after she's had her child and just continue to, like, live as herself but as somebody a little bit different. Um, So her relationships with her friends and her family um, are all very, you know, different than sort of what she has grown to expect. Um, But so she's always kind of felt like an oddball. But then what's it like to come back to that and to find that grounding sense of community is explored in this? Um, It's, you know, it's Goodreads says it's Bridget Jones's diary for the Fleabag generation. Um, And it does. I mean, I've never actually read Bridget Jones's diary. I've seen the movie. And of course, I've seen Fleabag. Um, But it's that sort of, you know, irreverent British woman who is giving you a peek behind the curtain into her life. And while it may have looked really cool and fun and appeared perfect on page, and you might just look at Sophie Hewitt with her daughter and think, wow, what a wonderful life. But like, how did she get there? And how she continues to live her life and to share that on the page is really beautiful and special. Two more here. (laughs) I'm like telling that more to myself than you guys. Um, Okay. Next we have The Scapegoat by Sarah Davis. Um, This was one of those ones that's like... A very literary, very sort of, like, experimental and anonymous and interesting while also being, like, extremely personable, if that makes sense. When I say anonymous, so, like, our main character's name is N. We never get to know his real name. Sometimes I find that when, like, someone has just an initial or sort of, like, an anonymous thing as their name, it's a lot easier to sort of... um, imagine it is a more amorphous story and like let a little bit more of like the mystery and the weird destabilizingness flow through so n's father has recently passed away um and they've been estranged up until that point um in order to sort of solve the mystery of his father's death he goes to this old spanish hotel um, and while he's there things are very weird like time moves differently and the way that he experiences his stay and experience is very different than other people so all of that is like explored very interestingly without being like too much of a twilight zone black mirror it's much more of like an internal examination of one's world um but then there is also this sort of like underground academic society um threatening to thwart him there's this like mysterious woman who keeps appearing so it's very you know like i said it does have those elements of like a twilight zone black mirror type novel but it's much more of like an internal um examination and character study and also just sort of like a you know what is reality what is not um 
and like what is it's very into exploring like what lies underneath and what we present to the world versus what we actually believe and show and think and feel and so i know that that's all kind of vague um but i don't want to give away too much here because it's just like a cool interesting debut novel um for people who are looking for something a little bit off the beaten path and a little more quirky and different um, so that is The Scapegoat. And last but certainly not, certainly not least, we have Sarah Land by Sam Cohen. So, like, obviously I really like all of the books that I'm talking about here, but, like, this one I really, really liked. Um, it's a collection of short stories all about women or people named Sarah. And they're just, like, funny and really relatable and well-written. The first one is about a group of Sarahs similar to the group of girls and Heathers who all have the same name. And then there's one Sarah who slightly feels like out of the group and different and how she becomes friends with another girl and like slowly distances herself from the group. Um, there is the, the Buffy loving Sarah who's obsessed with fan fiction and how she then sort of uses that fan fiction to create this almost non-existent relationship with another human being. Um, there is another Sarah who um, is, you know, there's just like all, it's all different kinds of time periods. It's all different kinds of women. It's all different kinds of ages. There's trans women named Sarah. Um, there, as Goodreads put it, which is, I really like, um, while Cohen presents a world that will clearly someday end, Sarah will continue. In each Sarah's refusal to adhere to a single narrative, she potentially builds a better home for us all. A place to live that demands no fixity of self, no plague of consumerism, no bodily compromise, a place called Sarah Land. It is just over 200 pages. Um, I don't know, I think there's, you know, five to eight short stories I want to say in this. So really quick, really easy to read. Just bang one out at night if you are against reading. You could also, not against reading, but if you're tipping your toe back into the waters, or I'm pretty sure once you read the first short story and you're just like, wow, this is fantastic. I want to read the rest that you can easily power through it in one night, but just read it however you read it. And that being said, that is this week's five books. Uh, let me know which night of the roundtable you are. Let me know what you've been reading. And until next time, stay reading. Bye. Bye.